Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Owen the Saints, your podcast dedicated to Southampton Football Club. I'm your host, Patrick Serlis, and I have Jack Serlis joining me today. At this point, these chats are beginning to seem a bit like torture. Another game, another Saints defeat. How are you holding up, Jack? I need this chat, actually. I need this chat to get a few things off my chest because watching Saints at the moment is not enjoyable at all, is it? It's not. We said last week, cathartic, um, speaking <laughs> after that leads to backle. Uh, and I think we're in for a similar podcast this evening, chatting an hour or so after the full-time whistle at Goodison Park. Do we need to repeat the obvious? We are crap. <laughs> <laughs> One point in 27 is a disgrace. It is, yeah. Bleak times, eight defeats from nine games. The latest, a 1-0 loss at Goodison Park, a place where we never do well. Our last league win there coming in 1997 and we never really looked like changing that um, on Monday night. Richarlison scoring the only, only goal of the game. Not much fun, these midweek games. Honestly, getting a little bit sick of them. The pain of watching us lose while attempting to get some work done over the final two hours of my shift is not very fun. As ever, quite a few talking points, which we'll get to. We have to start with the winless run. It's now no victory since beating Liverpool on January 4th in the Premier League. That day, we were level on points with the Champions League places. I think Tottenham were in fourth. We were level on points with them. Fast forward two months, nine games, as you say, one point from those nine. And we're just seven above Fulham in 18th in the relegation zone. What did you make of the performance at Everton, Jack? Well, yeah, just to just to highlight that kind of bad run, I saw a tweet on on Twitter from a guy called Matt who just said, last 10 games, fewest points picked up, most goals conceded, least goals scored, most defeats and fewest shots on target. And I mean, a lot of a lot of football fans think that their clubs are going through poor runs and everyone you know, highlights their own weaknesses. But that, whichever way you look at it, is shocking. And we've been dealt some awful, awful games of football. It's just a shame all of them are on TV nowadays. Um, the, the Everton performance, I mean, the, the the team that we can put out nowadays with the injuries and suspensions, and I'm, I'm not saying that's an excuse, but it does play a massive part of it. When you're chasing a game at Everton and you can bring on Nathan Teller, Dan and Lindelow and Caleb Watts, you know there's an issue because there's championship and league one clubs that have more depth than that to try and get a point. And, you know, Everton are bringing on players like Alex Awobi, who's, you know, not a top quality player, but he's someone that, it's just the golfing they class. They spent £30 what million pounds on him. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and Josh King, who, I mean, we were linked with him in January. He's on big wages. Uh, I think he, that was the issue um, from Bournemouth for why we didn't go for him. But these are the players they've got. They're like Premier League players coming off the bench. Exactly. And like I'm saying, I'm not saying it's an excuse, but it does just put it into perspective where Southampton are at the moment and how, what can we really expect to do. I thought the players did OK. The standout ones for me were Musa Gineppo and Stuart Armstrong. It's a shame that Stuart Armstrong has to play in centre midfield because he's so much more effective going in that final third. And that's where we really lacked any kind of incision against Everton. The sooner Ibrahim Diallo's back, the better. If he can walk, I'd say start him on Saturday against Sheffield United because I think Stuart Armstrong needs to be further up the pitch. Um, there were some good passages of play. Some of the football is OK, but in general, it, I just think Everton were comfortable and they were happy with some of the football we were playing and we didn't really, you know, threaten them and lay a glove too much, apart from the two big chances at the end, which I'm sure we'll get on to. And those mm-hmm. do come. Ralph said in his post-match that we took more risks near the end and that's what happens in sport, isn't it? When you're chasing it, you take more risks. But yeah, ultimately... Not good enough. 
big talking point before the game um, when the team sheet dropped was Fraser Forster preferred in goal for uh, over Alex McCarthy. Now, we all know all the goals that McCarthy has shipped and was he to blame for those goals? No, I don't think so. He made some big saves even in the game against Leeds. We lost 3-0. He kept us in it at times. He's a very, very good shot stopper. But there had been calls for Fraser to come in, keeping clean sheets in the FA Cup. He got his opportunity today. What did you make of the decision to go with Fraser over McCarthy? I think you had been calling for it before the match. And how do you think he did? Yeah, I think Ralph summed up in his pre-match comments. He got asked the question why he started him and he said, the last clean sheet we got was with Fraser in goal. So he basically wanted that kind of momentum and that kind of, you know, that bit of form to kind of translate on the pitch. He said McCarthy's not done anything really wrong to lose his spot, but something had to change. If you're on this kind of run, you do change things. If a striker is not scoring, you rotate him. So I think Fraser Forster deserved his deserved his chance. Um, you know, clean sheet was gone after eight minutes. Eight minutes, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, Salisu had a very tough game, I thought. Dominic Calvert-Lewin was a really, real you know, difficult striker to play against against the most you know seasoned professional, seasoned centre-backs in the league. But, you know, he's all elbows. He's all, you know, everything that you'd hate to play against as a, as a centre-back. And I thought Salisu had a tough game. Um, I thought it yeah, was just, interesting. I thought it was interesting, actually, that just thinking back to the the reverse fixture, we beat them 2-0 at St Mary's earlier in the season. Um, and that was after Vestergaard had come in. And we saw that as a big test or a test for him because at that point, Vestergaard, we were still a little bit unsure. He'd come in against Burnley, played really, really well. But he kept Dominic Calvert-Lewin quiet. And I remember we talked about that quite a lot, about how impressed we were with his performance against Calvert-Lewin. I think a little bit that Calvert-Lewin didn't want any piece of Vestergaard, it seemed like, today, and just stuck much much uh, closer to the right-hand side of the pitch and just kind of was targeting Salisu, especially in the air. Yeah, that's true. He definitely, I'm sure they would have done their work before the game. and you know, He didn't get anything in that reverse fixture, like you said, so he did target Salisu. I think the midfielders in front of Vestergaard on that day when we beat them 2-0, I think Romeo must have been playing there, so a lot more protection it was the balls weren't come flying at him. They looked like they were coming to Salisu today, but um, yeah, it's just everything about the team. Carl Walker Peters, we've said it week after week, how important he is to the way we play. And Jan Bednarak, good defender, but just it's not the same. And the whole the whole defence was disjointed. I don't. I, I kind of want to see a bit more from Ryan Bertrand at the moment. He's he's one of our seasoned season, you know, 30, 31 years old players, been around the league for a long, long time. Players like Mohamed Salisu on the left hand side needs to be, you know, spoken into that game and talked into that game and he needs to have a bit of a leader to the side of him. I'm not seeing that from Ryan Bertrand at the moment. I think he goes a little bit missing in these kind of games and I might be picking him out harshly, but I think he should be picked out because he's one of the players that's been there and done that and been in these scraps. And if you are someone like Mohamed Salas who coming in, you'd look to him for leadership. I don't think he's doing it at the moment. So it's just a shame we've got no other options. Yeah, I mean, the goal, as I said, came inside 10 minutes. Poor defending, really. Salisu and Walprowse going up for a, a header with Calvert-Lewin. Neither of them winning it. It drops down to Sigurdsson and it's a and it's a nice ball through. I mean, we weren't up against James Rodriguez today, um, but Sigurdsson basically was like watching James. We're just, just occupying that space in the number 10 position, putting the ball through for Charleston and we're 1-0 down. And at that point, I mean, you just... You're settling, in for a, you're settling in for the floodgates to open and just for an absolutely miserable 90 minutes. And for 20 minutes or so after that, we barely had a kick. And you just think this is 
sheeps and what am I mm. doing? Why am I watching this? Why am I putting myself through it? We were just dreadful. We did, well, VAR intervened. It could have been 2-0. Correct decision, obviously, to disallow the goal for Michael Keane. One of the talking points that I just wanted to mention off the back of that, because it came up in the second half again, was our, de- our defending from set pieces. Um, wanted to get your thoughts on it because there was quite a lot of chat on social media, people feeling like we were just asking for trouble. And there was opportunity in the second half for Michael Keane where they probably could have done better and probably could have got that second goal. Um, but I just I just want to say that it is, it's clearly a tactic from Ralph and the coaching staff. It's clearly something that we work on the training ground a lot. And it's not something that we're just doing because we're, we haven't got the personnel and we don't really know what we're doing and we're just rubbish. So we're just not defending properly. We are defending properly. This is exactly what Ralph wants us to do is to keep a high line and let the offside um, trap work basically and let VAR rule out these goals. Now it's nervy as a fan watching it because they get all these chances and you're like, oh, was he offside? Nine times out of 10, they are offside. Um, it's, the t- it's, it's the tactic that Ralph wants to do. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts on it were. The two teams on the pitch had completely opposite ways of defending free kicks. Southampton have the heart edge of the box and keep that line and just try and play everyone offside, like you said. Everton, I don't know if you noticed, but mm-hmm. so, so deep. They are behind their penalty spot, in between the penalty spot and the six-yard box. So their way of looking at it is everything in front of us and we're just going to defend it and we're not going to rely on you know, the, the VAR call. But the, the thing is, is, like you said, it works nine times out of ten, but the, the warning sign for me was in the first half when Richarlison should have got his second goal. And... All that he did, it wasn't rocket science. He just started a metre away from the line and then just timed his run. And mm-hmm. that's all he did because the Southampton players, the whole the whole line don't move. Some of them follow it in, some of them don't. So it has worked for us over the, over the, um, over the season, but it definitely is a point. If I'm playing against Southampton, I'm saying, all you have to do is time your run and you've got a free run at goal. Mm-hmm. And Richardson should have, should have put the game, you know, potentially to bed before before half time. So yeah, we were lucky to stay in it, I thought. I don't I don't necessarily have a problem with with it. I think it's worked largely for us. I prefer our style of doing it to Everton's. I think we didn't get it right today um against Everton. But if you're sitting back in your own penalty box, you're inviting all of the pressure into the most dangerous area of the pitch. At least when you keep a high line, you do with VAR, it's either it's going to be ruled out. So that's going to do its job for you, really. You don't have to necessarily retreat and backpedal and defend it. It's true. So I, I get it. I get why they're doing it. Um, I just thought it was interesting because there was that keen goal that was disallowed. Um, final talking point from the first half that I wanted to mention was the um, penalty shout for Che Adams. Uh, another disappointing, difficult game for Che. I know you want to have a word on it, on his performance because another game without a goal for him. He did have this opportunity in the first half where Ben Godfrey, um, just to give my two cents on it, is some of the most clumsy defending um, you'll see in the Premier League. He's got his arms all all over him. Che kind of rolls him. Ben Godfrey slips, goes down and trips him up. And in my opinion, it might be soft, but it's a penalty. He's tripped up Che Adams. We saw a penalty given for Everton against Liverpool Um that was much more questionable in my mind whether that was a penalty kick versus what Che uh, was tripped effectively by, by Godfrey. And, and I think on the coverage here in America, they said soft, but a penalty um, in the current season. And I think that's a penalty all day long. Like, it's just poor defending. 
He's got completely turned. He's on the floor and Che's gone over him. He's through on goal. He's going to mm. get a shot on goal if he doesn't trip over. Now, you can talk about intent. Well, intents are relevant in these situations. Ben Godfrey didn't intend to trip Che Adams because he's slipped and he's fallen on the floor, but he did. He stopped him from having a clear shot on goal because he fell over and Che Adams went over him. And that's a, it's a free kick on any other part of the pitch. It's a penalty. Now, we didn't get that. Again, if we'd gone one all at half time, would I have been confident at all that we, we would have got anything from the game? No, but it's still painful when those decisions don't go your way. Yeah, I think they didn't make too much of it on the on the coverage here in the UK, but um, that's that's Shea's strong point, isn't it? You know, he hasn't had the best Southampton career so far, but he's in terms of like spinning defenders and rolling defenders and using his body, he is you know that is that is his strength, and it was really clumsy from Ben Godfrey. I just I don't understand if, how you could watch it and be like, it's not a foul. Like what? What has Ben Godfrey done there that is not a foul? He's got his arms all over him. He's fallen over and then he stripped him. Mm. He didn't I mean, intend, I, he didn't mean to do any of that, but he did because he was clumsy defending as a penalty. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. If you if you're listening and you've got a strong opinion on this, let us know because I need to definitely watch it again. We're recording this quite soon after the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's one of them where if the referee gives it and they have a look at it at VAR, there's no way they overturn it because I don't mm-hmm. think there's enough evidence to. But because. It just seemed like they checked it too quick. I don't know what, what it was like for yeah. you, but they checked it in about five minutes. Martin Atkinson seconds. gave it the old no penalty signal straight away. And obviously that they, they would have checked it still, but it looked a penalty at first glance to me and it's looked a penalty at every every glance since then. Mm. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. It's Martin Atkinson. Again, he wasn't the reason why we lost today, but it was so many Everton tackles that he just wasn't wasn't booking and then the first tackle from Gineppo I think got booked and there's another player that got booked which Armstrong as well got booked which, which, was, which was yellow I think my frustration with it and again this is complaining about the referees because it's it's cathartic and not blaming Mike Atkinson at all for us losing the game we could have got a penalty which would have been obviously a big uh, a big deal for us but I mean his refereeing was just frustrating because a stiff breeze was blowing over some of these Everton players and it seemed to be whoever shouted loudest got the free kick. Um, several 50-50 tackles, especially with Richarlison, um, but also with Calvert-Lewin. They were just 50-50s and the Everton player was just screaming his head off and going down in a massive heap and they got the free kick for it. Martin Atkinson was happy to give him free kick and then the other way around. Um, one in particular, I think Gineppo skins Lucas Demon down the right-hand side and it's just the most professional foul you'll ever see. He just chops him. Um, and it's free how, kick. And how it's, can it's, that not be a book? There's no yellow card. And it's just like, what, 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 are you watch, what are you watching genuinely? Because I don't understand the decisions that you're making. Um, mm. And then at the other end, there's a, like, a, a coming together with, I think it was Armstrong and Calvert-Lewin and Everton get a free kick right on the edge of the box, 20 yards out. Um, and it's just the softest little touch on, on Richarlison, the shoulder to shoulder, where five minutes before half-time, Jay Adams goes through and is bundled to the ground by Ben Godfrey and it's like definitely not foul and you give it a big no penalty signal. I just don't understand the way that these referees think, but um, it's not been a particularly strong year for, for referees across the board. Lee Mason um, picking up an injury, which is why he's not refereeing this week, apparently, after a series, that right? a series of stinkers um, dating back all the way back to the VAR um, for us when Mike Dean denied us a penalty against Aston Villa and then ruled out the Danning's goal 
in the last gasp moments. Um, that, is the absolute, on... that is the absolute classic pull a sickie after you've had a shocker at work, sent an awful email. Yeah, because he obviously had that stinker uh, West Brom, West Brom yeah. Brighton. Um, so yeah, he's picked up a calf injury, so he's not going to be refereeing <laughs> in the next game week, which, um, yeah. Sums um, it up. Take that with a pinch of salt, to be honest. Um, other Nathan things Redmond. To, other things I mentioned, I was just going to say Nathan Redmond. <laughs> um, these podcasts are turning into a little bit of like, just have rants on different subjects, um, but I'm quite enjoying it. So I'm going to continue this time on Nathan Redmond because that was, again, one of the most disgraceful performances I've ever seen by a player wearing a Southampton shirt. And that's, that's strong, but that's the way I'm feeling in an hour after the full-time whistle. I might feel differently tomorrow morning. Probably not because he was just dreadful. There was one instance in particular that just summed up for me and I could have picked out four or five different instances, but I'm going to go with this one. Second half, Southampton corner, ball breaks to the edge of the box and it's a 50-50 between Nathan Redmond and uh, Decore. Um, and he, bottling it wouldn't do it justice for how much he bottled it. It was the weakest tackle you've ever seen. He just didn't fancy it at all. And then from there, it's an Everton counter-attack. Obviously, came to nothing. But it's just like it's the most Nathan Redmond thing I've ever seen. He couldn't, he couldn't make a pass. He couldn't create anything. Again, there was another instance that's just coming back to me now. I think it was a free kick or a corner comes out to him on the corner of the uh, the penalty area. He obviously hangs around the 18 yard box when we've got set pieces because he's zero threat in the penalty area, and he just kind of chipped it like with a little bit of curl miles over the crossbar. And it's like, is that a shot? Is that a cross? God knows. It's Nathan Redmond. Um, what 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 did you think of his performance? Any anything more positive to say other than what I've just rattled off? Unfortunately, not. Unfortunately, not. What what kind of sums that up for me is that I think obviously me and you and everyone listening watch Southampton and dissect everything about Southampton Football Club because that is our club. And sometimes we can be very harsh on players, and other people watching might you know not really notice it too much. I was texting a mate after the game tonight who's a Liverpool fan. And one of his key points was just Nathan Redmond is hard to watch. And that's from an, that's from an outsider. That's not from someone that watches us week in, week, in, week out. And it is hard to watch because he gives the ball away so often. He doesn't commit defenders. He has one kind of skill where he drags the ball and it looks like he's done a defender, but he's actually just kept the ball and passed it back to Ryan Bertrand. And you're thinking, you're one of our attacking players try and commit someone, try and do something. And it's just so, so frustrating when the team is lacking confidence and lacking any kind of goal for it, that you've got players that have no conviction. And I know exactly the chance that you're talking about where he just, he dinks it over and you're thinking, what was, what were you trying to, were you trying to pick anyone out? Or were you just trying to think I'll, I'll, I'll hit an area and hope for the best. And there's a few chances like that where it just fell from the edge of the box. And instead of lacing it, and trying to hit the target and it goes wrong and it's that fair play's gone for it. He just leans back, hits it over the crossbar and it's like, oh, okay, that's a chance. So, yeah. It seems like he's completely bereft of confidence at all, yeah, which, which I get. Um, but I mean, I've got, it's hard it's, to have any sympathy the same. at the moment. It's a, you asked me about Shea Adams earlier and I think it's exactly the same. So that's from fans. Well, not exactly the same, it's different. So that's, he's coming from Birmingham City and I feel like a lot of Saints fans want him to succeed more than he has shown on the pitch and I'm definitely one of them I want Shea Adams to be a success because I've seen glimpses of it and I really like him as a striker but ultimately he's not doing enough up there and we're not giving him the chances but as a striker you have to show a little bit of endeavour and create some yourself and he's not and he's he's 
that's 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 the long and short of it. He's not doing enough. Let's talk about Ralph then, because we've gone through all of the stats and this winless run goes on and on. Um, another defeat. The calls or the calls are growing louder. Obviously, that his position has to be called into question, and it makes sense. Like, there's only so many games you can lose before you start looking at the manager. Now. We wrote in our newsletter in the week that he's got an extremely long leash, and I think he does. I think him and Martin Simmons have, have a very, very good relationship, which means that it's going to take something exceptionally, exceptionally bad for him to be let go. Um, we are, unfortunately, getting close to the exceptionally bad, if not already there. I think we might be there at the weekend if we don't pick up three points against bottom of the table, Sheffield United. Um but there were a few things that I wanted to go through from the game. One of them being that Nathan Redmond, the fact that he stayed on the pitch for 87 minutes, despite all of that, I think you've kind of already answered it in the fact that, well, I mean, who are we bringing on? Three academy players. Like there's not, there's not a ton of options there um, to change it. And as frustrating as he is, <laughs> he has some kind of attacking ability. We have seen it in fits and starts in a, in a Southampton shirt. So he stays on the pitch. Um, what did you make of Ralph's substitutions? Obviously, the first one being Salasu coming off and Teller coming on. Um, there were some people commenting on social media that it seems like Ralph um, is lost some of that energy on the touchline and just seems completely short of ideas and not quite dead man walking, but it's getting getting to that point. Um, what did you make of, of the substitutions and, and just his general decision-making? Um- the, the one that I think I was crying out for and every Saints fan on Twitter was crying out for was Nathan Teller on for Nathan Redmond. That one seemed to make sense. I know he, he made, he changed the formation slightly. Well, he checked, moved, from, moved some players around slightly and took off Mohamed Salasu. But I think Nathan Teller had to come on the pitch a bit earlier and Nathan Redmond was the most obvious one because I think we could have played four or five more games after that and he would have done absolutely nothing. Um, yeah. There was just no threat there. But again, like I said at the start of the podcast, you're bringing on Dan and Lindelou, Nathan Teller and Caleb Watts came on today. So, I mean, it, we really are obviously a promising player, but we really are you know, in despair in, in, in when it comes to substitutions. And I think maybe the one that I would have liked a little bit earlier as well was in Lindelou because yeah. Shea Adams, like we said, has not been brilliant and, and Lindelou has scored a few goals in the cup. So, yeah, I'd like to see a little bit more of him because I think he's got a bit more to show than than Shea Adams, especially in, in those games where we just can't nothing. Yeah. Okay. Well, for all that, I think I mean I I disagree with a lot of the points that I was seeing on social media about Ralph. Um, I didn't have a massive problem with his substitutions, really. I think Teller was the obvious one to come on, and yeah, I would have liked Nathan Redmond to come off, but I can understand why he stayed on the pitch. And there was a lot of talk about, obviously, in the first half, we had a kind of 25-minute, 30-minute spell where it looked really, really bad. But in the second half, I thought, towards the end of the first half and in the second half, we looked okay. Like Everton are pushing um, same points as Liverpool. I think they're seventh at the moment. They're pushing for a European spot. They are they'll a very, go, they'll very good go top four if they win on Thursday. Yeah, they win on Thursday. I think it's against West Brom. They'll go top four. Now, they're a very, very good team. Um, and we lost 1-0. Okay, it's another defeat, but I think we actually played pretty well. I feel, um, I'm not going to say positive, but there were some things that I think we did, especially in the second half, that looked good. Yes, we only had one shot on target, and yes, we we looked short creatively. Like It didn't seem like we were going to um, trouble Jordan Pickford much, 
But we stayed in the game and we had two massive opportunities in the last 10 minutes. The first one going to Musa Gineppo. As you said, I think you made a great point at the start about Stuart Armstrong playing deeper, which limited his effectiveness because he's the one that created that opportunity for, for Gineppo. With a little one-two, beat Alan, one-two with Nathan Teller, out to Gineppo, and you're just expecting the net to bulge there, but it goes wide. Yeah, and I needed that little monologue from you there, Pax. It's made me feel a little bit more more positive on this on this Monday night because there were bright sparks in that game. And, you know, we like you said, we only lost 1-0 against a top, top Everton team. And whilst they did have some chances and maybe did take their foot off the gas a little bit, didn't, you know, they weren't all over us. And like they you said, didn't we create could, much either. Like people saying that Saints had one shot on target, so did Everton. They had one mm. shot on target over the 90 minutes and they scored it. Uh, it was their first shot and goal that they scored. I mean, it was poor defending, but they weren't knocking down the door and we weren't hanging on. I mean, there was a 20-minute spell when we were, we were crap, like really yeah. bad. Um, but overall in the game, I think it was a very, very even game. And then again at the end, Yannick Vestergaard probably should score. 90th minute, he should score. It breaks to him, he's onside, and it's a save from Pickford. Yeah, it is. The Gineppo one, I think he actually did everything right. Opening his body up and trying to hit it, you know, trying to get that connection with his right foot and you were expecting it to go into the back of the net. The Vestergaard one, he just slips. He doesn't get the right connection on it. It's just our luck that we're catching an awful Jordan Pickford in the form of his life. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that would have been too good to be true if we nicked a point there, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, I'm crying out for it. I mean... <laughs> Absolutely desperate on my knees in front of the TV in the night <laughs> minute, honestly, I genuinely. Um, but onwards, another game. Um, we've got we've got to pick ourselves up for Saturday, and it's an absolutely gigantic match now. Um, I really sp- am not looking forward to the no, weekend. I'm, I don't no, know about I'm you. dreading it. I'm absolutely dreading it. As in, I do not want this week to end and it get to Saturday <laughs> because that is going to be an awful day for everyone involved at Southampton Football Club. Yep. I 100% agree. Um, another plug for the newsletter, which you can sign up to if you go to our Twitter page. Um, it's our link on on our profile. Um, I think we've got kind of 56 subscribers now. It's, a, it's an email that comes out once a week with uh, Saints FC content. Um, a few little jokes in there. We've got like a shirt of the week. Um, games gone section where we just take some outrageous decision which will probably go with the Chad Adams one this week or we like to go with like a non-Southampton one to be fair so we dig around the internet and, and try and pick out something pretty funny from a, from a, um, across the world of football um, but I plug for the newsletter because one of the things that we wrote last week was the fact that our season is going to be defined by a four game stretch um, and I still believe that I believe that before the Everton game because I wasn't expecting us to pick up any anything from tonight um, and obviously we've got Sheffield United which is massive but that four game run so we've got Sheffield United away then we've got Manchester City away now we we want three points from those two games but the four games that are going to define our season are after that it's Brighton at home Burnley at home West Brom away Crystal Palace at home now wow if we pick up nine points from that, which I think we should be looking to win all four games, but let's say we win three, pick up nine or ten points, we'll be absolutely fine this season. Um, and that last Palace game is on April 17th with five games remaining. We'll cruise, we'll cruise to the end of the season. If we stumble, if our form doesn't get any better, and let's say we win one of those four games, we will be right in the mix in the relegation zone. Fulham will pick, will continue to pick up points. The gap at the moment is seven points. Fulham will continue to pick up points. 
And if we get through those, those four games and we've not got seven, eight, nine, ten points, we will be um, right in the mix with our final five games of the season, two of which are against uh, Liverpool and Leicester City. Um, and also West Ham are in the top four at the moment. So so we'd be in a pretty sticky situation. Pat, the key for me is is in the is in the treatment room, is in the physio room, because that team that, that played tonight and that bench that played tonight is not getting nine points against those teams. I'm telling you that. I know West Brom are pretty bad and, you know, Burnley aren't on the best run of form, but and they're Palace, beating that team. Palace are one of the worst teams in the league at the moment as well. They are, but I just think until we get Carl Walker-Peters back at right back and an actual centre midfielder alongside James Ward-Prowse and push Stuart Armstrong forward, so we need mm-hmm. Diallo back in there, I just don't see this team picking up points. So I saw some pictures of Diallo in training, which is positive. So hopefully... Glorious, hopefully, glorious pictures they were. They were. They were really brightened up my day. Um, so hopefully he starts against Sheffield United. And then, you know, I haven't heard too much about Walker-Peters, but I think it's a matter of weeks. So fingers crossed he can get in for that that four-game run plus the FA Cup because he was he was crucial against Wolves in that in the, um, the round previously. So the key for me is getting those two players back on the pitch. Right, Jack, let's leave it there. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. And we will catch up after the Sheffield United game. Uh, and yeah, uh, keep your fingers crossed between now and 5pm on Saturday for three points. Always got to believe, Pat. Up the Saints. <laughs>